the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Fatucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Q3 reports are in. The GDP rose by 2.6%, a sharp turnaround from the weakness of Q2's 1.6%, and certainly a far cry better than the negative 0.6% of Q1. But inflation continues to be a drag on the economy, both domestically and overseas, where the European bank just increased rates by three quarters of a percent. Welcome once again to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that every single week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager and best-selling author, Pat Vitucci, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, Pat, as we've been indicating over the last many months, there seems to be ongoing, what should we call them, conflicting signals within the economy. One day you open up the news story and you hear nothing but negative news. And then another day, like now, we see that, well, in fact, Q3 GDP was actually a pretty healthy 2.6%. But in spite of all of this, continuing to see heavy downward pressure in many sectors because of inflation, both domestically as well as globally. So I guess, first off, let's try to kind of unwrap what all of this means. That 2.6 number, Craig, that you cited is really a pretty healthy number. It's pretty darn close to normal, especially when you compare first and second quarter numbers, which were not healthy one bit. So we're going from a pandemic economy to a post-pandemic economy where during the pandemic we were buying sofas and bikes and doing a lot of landscaping, a lot of projects around the house because we were kind of stuck at home and buying a lot of durable goods. And now we're shifting to going out to restaurants. Yay, that's fun again. Of course, the prices are staggeringly higher. And travel is a big, big number. If you've been on any flights lately, there's not one seat available. Travel is big. Cruise enrollments are off the charts high. So we've got a lot of pent-up demand given this alleged post-pandemic economy. I say alleged because we're going into the fall here where the flu season normally 
heats up and will it be a normal flu season or some variation of COVID? That all remains to be seen. Of course, get your immunization so you don't get COVID. And do I get another booster? Do I not get a booster? Is it an annual shot? So that saga continues. On the bad news front, mortgage rates top 7%. That's the first time since 2002. So not surprisingly, sales of new homes are down almost 11% last month. We'll see um, how that affects the economy. Certainly, real estate, residential sales in particular, normally is a big, big factor in GDP, gross domestic product. So we'll see... um, how that rolls out as we go into the fourth quarter and into the first quarter of next year. We know we've got an election in another week or so. That's going to have, in my view, a big impact. I think it's going to be a pivoting point, depending on the outcome, which party prevails. If the Republicans take control of the House and or the Senate, we'll see what kind of impact that will have on Wall Street. Those kinds of decisions roll right up the coast into New York City and normally a fairly big impact on Wall Street numbers. Mr. Musk takes over Twitter this week in a dramatic fashion. What kinds of decisions he makes, he's promised to put Trump back on that platform, whether he wants to be on there. Then we have Kanye West buying Parler, which is the conservative version of Twitter. And we've seen Kanye West self-destruct this past week with a lot of his major companies dropping him because of alleged anti-Semitic comments on the air. We'll see uh, if Kanye West can hold it together and, and make Pollard a significant conservative online voice. That's always big, big question. The tech world continues to disappoint. This past week, Mr. Zuckerberg, compared to a year ago, his net worth is down $85 billion. Rumor has it he's applying for a part-time job at the local Safeway there in Palo Alto make ends meet, but in all sincerity, he's put a lot of money down, a lot of research and development on this whole meta world, so it's a big, big bet. Wall Street is not liking this big bet one bit. Both Alphabet, Microsoft, Meta, they're all going to have less than spectacular numbers given the slowing global economy, so tech continues to be the laggard sector, whereas in prior years, it was leading sector by far, so a lot of these companies are down 50, 60, 70 percent in terms of capitalization. Banks will continue to do well. We expect profit margin continue to provide some really superlative numbers. So if you're looking at some kind of sector rotation, depending on your appetite for risk, inflation continues to be a challenge. And, of course, that's always going to challenge corporate balance sheets where execs are trying to walk that fine line between looking at the cost of goods sold, how much can they raise their prices, and then expenses. Of course, payroll being the biggest expense. So you continue to get announcements about declines in payroll, i.e. layoffs. I think as we go through the fourth quarter here, we'll see layoff announcements continue as corporations try and wrangle with trying to report reasonably good bottom-line numbers. And, of course, Christmas season is heating up, and so we'll see what mood the consumer is in. Will the consumer be in a good mood and go out spending? Are there confidence behind? Or given the cost of a gallon of gasoline and inflation at 9-plus percent, will it depress Christmas sales?
Imagine trying to be a buyer, Craig, and back in June and July, you've got to make decisions on what kind of inventory to buy for Christmas season with all these leading and lagging conflicting signals. If you buy too many dresses or shoes or suits for men or dresses for women, like trying to put your finger on the pulse of what the consumer's going to look like six months down the road, that's not an enviable job I would want. You're either a hero or you're a goat. You buy too much, and, you know, Macy's has to put buy one, get one free. Or if you run out of inventory, now you got to face your boss and say, geez, boss, we sold all of our inventory, and it's only Thanksgiving. Christmas season has barely started. So kind of a thankless job, but that's the kind of volatile market we're in. Inflation is wreaking havoc, and coupled with layoffs and trying to diagnose consumer sentiment, I'd almost rather buy a lottery ticket. I think my odds of winning on that are probably uh, comparable. <laughs> so, again, the volatility of the market continues to confound execs figuring out staffing needs and figuring out inventory needs, and then sprinkle in the election, which will put a different mood on the economy. The psychology of this market can, can turn in a New York minute. Having said that, we've seen the Dow Jones Industrial Average go up a couple thousand points in the last couple of weeks. So try and explain that one, given all these other negative views. So it's not an easy economy to predict. It will be a challenge, I think, for the next couple, three or four quarters. I don't think this inflation, Craig, is going away anytime soon. When You can't go from 9.1% inflation down to 2%. Now, the Federal Reserve will probably raise rates again in November, perhaps three-quarters of a point, and maybe again in December. So we've got an escalating, aggressive Federal Reserve posturing on the cost of money that will further slow growth as it's designed to do. It's designed to increase unemployment. So pretty confusing times, Greg. Well, if you're one of those folks out there who looks at current events on Wall Street and what you see on paper in your quarterly or monthly statements, and your eyes glaze over and you're just not sure what to do. Maybe you're a victim of what Pat often refers to as analysis paralysis. Perhaps you can spend a moment, Pat, and focus on helping us to better understand what these confusing times might mean. There is clearly a paradigm shift taking place for investors and for some folks that are maybe younger, let's speak to the group that maybe is 45 years old or a bit younger. They perhaps don't have a very strong recollection of the last major economic downturn in the country of any significance. That, of course, from 15 years ago with the derivatives debacle. Now we're looking at suddenly what had been the darlings of Wall Street for a decade and a half, the so-called fang stocks that are all now seeing pretty significant drag. I mean, for example, we've seen with Alphabet, the parent company of Google, weighing down markets midweek. There had been a $5.5 trillion sell-off there. We've seen tech-heavy sectors that have seen significant drops. And so I have to wonder, you mentioned a while ago about perhaps some of the, the old-style stocks, so to speak, banks, the energy sector, sort of beginning to be more favorable. Is this part of the paradigm shift? And is this important then for younger investors who have always seen high tech as kind of being the salvation of their investments under all circumstances? Is it time for them to dive in a little bit deeper 
and to pay more attention to this notion of sector rotation that you've been speaking of recently? Craig, I can remember years ago, you and I talked about the generals, General Mills, General Motors, General Electric. They were the stalwart companies that we watched. There was no such thing as fang stocks, right? It was always the generals. Maybe we're getting back into that. Maybe we're getting back into those old stodgy companies that you know were the perennial winners, generated dividends and fairly nice appreciation of stock prices. So here we go back 20, 30 years ago. Maybe it's time to look at the general. The companies like Procter & Gamble were always going to buy toothpaste and Cheerios beauty products. So maybe uh, that's where we're going, yeah, Craig. We'll see. It's, it's been a fun ride to watch kind of the reallocation and the sector rotation out of high tech, which has been the darling of Wall Street for many years, back into the to the old stodgy companies and maybe sprinkle in some banks because banks, are, I think, are going to do fairly, fairly well. Now, with all of this said, for folks that perhaps don't really have a clear understanding as to how to go about engaging in sector rotation, and of course, there's always the concern that during these difficult times, we see significant drops on Wall Street, the knee-jerk reaction, and I think it's a, a human reaction, quite frankly, is to say, my goodness, let's look what's happening to my investments, sell, sell, sell. They park all the cash on the side, and of course, as a result, they lock in those losses. Does there need to be a strategy in place when it comes to engaging in sector rotation, revisiting the performance of your choices? These may be stock choices, Pat, and investment choices that folks made in a 401k or an IRA earlier in the year, maybe years ago. What is the best approach to being agile and having a strategy in place that is capable of being able to respond to these changing times? Yeah, I, I mean, really understanding and drilling down and looking at the 50 leading and lagging economic indicators that we track in our system. Again, the average investor is not going to want to have that level of research. Because guess what? It's boring. It's not exciting to most people. But in my view, it is absolutely essential to understand which market segments are going to do reasonably okay given this, quote, recession we're in. Again, everybody has a different definition of recession. So I think we're going to spend certainly the rest of this year and the the major part of 23 trying to work through this recessionary environment we're in. And we talk on the show, don't invest or forget, wow, this is certainly a time to make the kinds of adjustments and look at your 401k allocations. What kind of mutual funds are you owning? What kind of other financial instruments do you have that will fully participate in this very different economy from just a mere couple months ago? In interest rates at you know two percent, now we're at seven percent. So a dramatic shift in your allocation, in my view, is really necessary. And again, that's big task for a lot of people because they're busy with their work. So I would invite any of our listeners to come in for a consultation in any one of our Bay Area offices and let us diagnose what areas of the economy you're in and are you are you well positioned or should you need to make some reallocations. So that's really the, as we used to say in the old days, the $64,000 question. I guess, Craig, that was when 
$64,000 was a lot of money. Right? That, was ca- that was some cash. <laughs> Today, not yeah, so. Now we could talk about the $64 billion question, I guess. Indeed so. Well, if you're one of those folks out there who looks at current events on Wall Street and what you see on paper in your quarterly or monthly statements and your eyes glaze over and you're just not sure what to do, maybe you're a victim of what Pat often refers to as analysis paralysis and as a result may potentially be making no moves when you should be or maybe worse still, the wrong moves, maybe it's time to take advantage of a complimentary financial health and retirement plan review offered in any of the Bay Area offices of the Don't Invest and Forget team. You get a chance to sit down, review where you're at today, talk about your goals for the future, and ascertain whether or not, in fact, you're on track for your plans for retirement. To take advantage of that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review, simply schedule your appointment by going online to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com and schedule your appointment. You can come into an office, you can have that appointment by phone or even over the internet, whatever's most convenient for you. Again, never any cost or obligation. Go to don'tinvestandforget.com or alternately call toll-free 888-PLANWISE, 888 P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. That's triple eight plan wise or online at don't invest and forget.com. Pat Matucci says, Don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Invest and forget. Welcome back to Don't Invest and Forget. With me in studio today, my good friend and special guest, Leo McLeod. Leo is a consultant who focuses predominantly in succession planning. Leo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. Leo, I'm going to work forever, and I don't need no darn succession plan. I'm going to die in my boots behind my desk. Why do I need a succession plan? That sounds like if I create one, then I'm going to, you know, it's like people say, I don't want to create a living trust because then I'm going to die right after I finish my living trust because now I've plans or I'm going to die. And now, so my career is going to die. Is that what we're saying, Leo? Well, you know, that's one option. (laughs) (laughs) You've got several options, right? You can die behind your desk. I'm done. I'm out of here. I've had friends do that, which is, you know, got some benefits because you're just, you're not getting involved in any of the succession planning stuff. But I think succession planning comes in where people have other concerns, when they want the business to continue beyond them, when they want to... Uh, reap the benefits of having a business that will provide some future income for them, or when they're interested in keeping the company together and keeping the, the, the people there, providing a place for them. And that's more commonly what I encounter. So I work a lot with engineering firms, professional services firms that are privately owned, relatively small, and invariably the motivation is I want to keep this thing going. I want to keep it going for the sake of the people who are here. The financial aspect of it is usually something which is more secondary. They're not just looking, in other words, to build it up and and find a, a quick sale. They care about keeping the company intact. That's where a succession plan really makes the most sense. It's the responsible thing to do. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's a responsible thing to do if you care about that. Here's what I do. I ask people, when I sit down with them, I say, okay, I've got three questions for you. When do you want to exit? 
and I try to give them some guidelines. Is it one to four years? Is it five to ten? Is it more than ten? What does it look like at the end? When you leave, when you have uh, five years or ten years, what does it look like at, at the end? Are you still around? Are you still involved in the business? Is the firm still intact? Is that important to you? Do you want to get the maximum price for your business, or are you flexible on price? The third question to ask is who would buy it? Give somebody in mind. Is this something you want to give to one of your kids? Is it something you want to transfer to key employees? Do you want to have a third party pick it up, or are you not sure? You need to kind of start with these basic questions. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, I had an engineering company called me, Small Civil Engineering, and I asked him these questions. I said, when do you want to exit? He said, in about a year. <laughs> now, that's flag number one, because that's not much of a plan. That's close to just wanting to throw the keys on the desk and get out. <laughs> I said, what's it look like at the end? And he said, you know, I really want to keep this firm together. It's a good, strong culture. I have some key employees that I think could take it over. And and I asked them, well, how are you, how do you feel about the price? Is that important to you? And this was the key. He said, I'm not so concerned about getting the maximum value out of it. Now, time and money, just like investments, are, are linked. If you don't have much time, not many options in terms of getting money out of the deal. If you have a longer runway, like 10 years down the road, there's more things that you can do. You have more ability to kind of test your team and build up your company and investigate options. If you have a shorter window, you just simply don't have that, that much time. You don't have the, that many options. And he was in a situation where he was willing to say, the financial part is not that important to me. Well, I was still doubtful that it was going to work. I met with the team. There were just maybe a couple people who were interested, but I didn't really feel like they were ready to be owners. But he was motivated to make this thing work, and a year later, he sold the company to him. What's the percentage of succession plans involve an internal kind of transfer that you've just described? Is it, is it rare or is it more common? In my business, it's more common because they're coming to me because they want to try to make the internal transfer work. And that's where you have to put more thought into it. If you really just want to get a valuation and go out to the market and find out how much your company is worth, get a valuation firm, get a business broker, put it out to the market, see who could buy it, and you don't really care about that. But if you care about who is going to buy the company, how they're going to treat the employees, how good of a fit it is, then there's more thought. There's more more of the softer stuff, which is what I'm involved in. I'm more of a kind of a broker of relationships, if you will, trying to figure out, you know, who's in this company, what's important to them, what's the culture like, how do we bring this about, how do we develop the leaders? It's more of the people part. You know, when I work on succession planning, I work with part of a team. So we usually have like a financial planner, I have an attorney. You know, I've got a team of people who do more of the logistical Parts of the, my job is to make sure that all the bases are covered, the questions are being addressed, and that I'm steering the ship from a strategic viewpoint and from more of a coaching owner, more of an emotional level, because a lot of this stuff is, is highly emotional. You know, it's not logistical, it's not financial. The really tough stuff is how people feel about their businesses and how they feel about leaving it. Do they see retirement as pushing their grocery cart down the aisle of 
having their wife say, no, don't take those peaches, you know, grab the larger can, you know. What does it really look like to retire? Am I ready to give this up? For those listening, Leo McLeod is a success and planning expert. He gets involved in small and mid-sized and large businesses that need a succession plan. And we all want to perhaps move on to retirement. I've got a question, Leo. It, normally, the entrepreneur, the owner who's been driving this company for X years, has the charisma, has the personality, has the drive, what I call the maniacal initiative. When you pass it off to staff, does the success of that firm change much? When the driver of the company goes fishing and goes to play golf or whatever, What's the success rate when that guy or gal leaves? Well, it all depends on how strong of a personality and how strong of a driver. The key question is, when clients hire your company, are they hiring you or are they hiring your company? In other words, are they the delivery of services and the experience that they get is being delivered by a number of people who they feel comfortable with, or is it like, Pat's not there, I'm out. My business, I don't have a succession plan because it's really about me. I'm fully aware of that. I'm going to do a little bit of what you said, which is right off into the sunset, kind of slowly, <laughs> slowly uh, dial my business down. But that's okay. I accept that. That's just part of the deal. But there are other companies, and I'll give you another example, another engineering company I work with. I sat down with the owner. He said, I've got about 10 years, which is better because he's, he's got a longer runway, you know, ramp to, to get out of this business. So we've got 10 years. The business is doing well. I've got a great team, but I want to get ahead of this thing. And I said, okay. First question, it says, how much do clients identify with you in terms of you know, the business? If you left, would they leave? That's really what you're asking. And he said, well, I don't know. Let's find out. So I did a client survey and I didn't ask people straight up. I say and say, hey, you know, if Joe left, would you leave too? Because, <laughs> you know, you don't want to flag that situation. But there are ways of asking who the primary contact is. I'll say something like, you know, what are your expectations of working with this company? Who is it you mostly work with? How do you feel about this person? And then the client is basically talking about their contact. And it's, for instance, a project manager or an associate there or VP or someone else. I'll then say, well, what's your, how much experience or how much contact you have with the owner of the firm? At that point, what I'm listening for is whether or not it's kind of a passive contact or an active contact. In other words, if it's passive, it's like, yeah, I don't know what he's up to or I don't really, I'm not really much in touch with Joe or he doesn't contact me. In other words, where is the relationship? Who owns the relationship? Sure, is it sure. with the owner of the firm primarily or is it with the VP or the associate or the project manager. And the job in succession planning is to have more and more of the associates and the VPs own the relationship and have the owner start backing off of that so the comfort level is there. So the people are saying, oh, you know, Joe's great, but I'll continue to do business because he's not really touching my business and delivering it. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. With me in studio today is Leo McLeod. Leo is a succession planning expert. He manages his own company and gets involved in the very delicate intricacies of how to pass that baton from the entrepreneur who perhaps has been working at, at that, uh, at that, in that role for 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years 
How do you pass it on to your staff or future owner? Maybe a, a, you merge with a bigger company, a smaller company. Leo, one question. What are the mechanics of doing this? In the old days, there was a thing called an ESOP, and each employee who wanted to participate would get X percent of the company. Sometimes there's not the financial wherewithal of subordinates that would love to own the company, but they just don't have the capital. How do you solve a problem like that? You know, there are a lot of different ways of going about that. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, and that is that time is your friend in this regard because – Let's say you want to maximize the value of the company and you want to get the most out of it, and your employees don't have the ability to just write you a check. Well, you're going to do a number of things. You're going to need to give them enough time to muster up that money. That's number one. So some of it needs to come out of their pocket. But more commonly, I see that companies' profits are funding the retirement. In other words, it's generating from the company. People are having skin in the game but it's not on their backs because that's actually not sustainable. Then the third strategy is that as a person leaves, that there's a pay off for like a number of years. So it's common for the company to basically fund that retirement for the employees, the future owners to put some skin in the game. And then lastly, to spread it out over time. So you're not just getting like all your money all at once. And I was just working with a firm where they have that arrangement where when the owner leaves, he'll get a check for, you know, a million bucks, but then he'll get another million bucks over the next, like, three years. Now, the concern there is, will the company continue to do well in order to fund after he leaves? And that is, that's a really good question. And sometimes companies have me come in and bet the viability of the company to pay off the debt to the owner. If this owner leaves, you know, do we have the right management team to keep it going? I mean, it's certainly part of the risk and part of the gamble. But I think having the right people in place and giving them a, a time to really spread their wings and, and be more in charge. If, if, if you want to know how people are going to act, then you need to go on vacation. You need to get out of the office, give them the keys to the car, and see if they ram it into a tree or not. When you come back, it's like everything's okay, or it's like, oh, my God, you know, I can't leave this company. Because most of these small companies are run by once very ambitious, charismatic people. If the talent skill set drops off precipitously after when the owner's gone and and then, you know, they end up closing the doors a year later because they're losing money, that's not a pretty picture either. That's exactly the risk. I mean, there's a lot of risk to this. You can set up a plan to say, look, you know, give me my money now. I'm going to retire in like two years, so start paying me now for this. It comes out of the company, comes out of the employees. You know, they either take a loan or it's part of their compensation, sort of gifting it to them, essentially. And they're buying stock back, you know, those, those kinds of formulas. But afterwards, it's like, well, you're still taking a gamble that those people are going to stick around because, you know, all kinds of scenarios could happen. People could say, you know, I think I'm going to start my own business. I mean, you, you, you really can't have an agreement that says you are going to stay here. You're going to do this thing. You know, I'm not aware of any kind of ironclad agreements where it's like, well, you know, it's guaranteed that I'll get paid back. Isn't yeah. that called communism? You will come to work today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you just take your chance there that it'll work out. And that's why part of what I do is kind of vet and develop the future owners. And I give some appraisals to companies. Not in terms of the value of the company, but the value of the people. 
and their ability to, to really lead and manage the firm. That's really critical. And then, of course, if the uh, industry goes through an evolution, as we, you know, we've seen industries change radically. And so over the next one, three, five years, if that industry is hit because of, you know, let's talk about Chinese tariffs or just their mergers, acquisitions, automation of what you were selling is now not a viable option anymore. I mean, with the speed of change of most industries, the underpinnings of what you developed X years ago now is an antiquated idea. So you've got that threat also, right? That risk. Here's my advice. Don't plan on your succession plan for funding your retirement. You need to be saving up your money, making your investments, putting your money to 401k into your portfolios, building up the wealth and have that secure because there's absolutely no guarantee that this whole business is selling your company and having that be your retirement is secure. It's just not because there's too many variables. I mean, it would be nice but get ahead of the game. The smart the smart owners just have it as part of their overall strategy. And, and it's also important when you have a financial planner, I've got one client that's being very smart, intentional about this. He's got somebody who's looking at both his personal portfolio and his business portfolio, his company. Because those things need to work together. How, many, how much taxes are you you know, paying and how can you minimize that? And you know, where are your investments and what's your net assets and how that interplays with your personal and your business. It's, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that people are not looking at. I mean, these are things that these are things that I have other people worry about, but there seems I flag for people to be watching. Leo, in a perfect world, what's the right timing of using your services? Is it three years? Is it five years? What's the comfort level? Kind of the run runway to that retirement mm-hmm. exit? You know, I think five to seven is a, is a good length of period because one is just, I mean, business is going too hard for you to be able to do any kind of planning. And three years is okay if you have all the pieces put in together. In other words, if you have a good management team, if your business is strong, and you want to start just looking at how you're going to be either selling it or transferring it, that's pretty good. But five allows you enough to whether any changes and fluctuations in business and changes of people because people come and go too. So five to seven gives you enough of a buffer to kind of ride out, ride out life, you know, ride out things that could happen. I'm sure you've been called into a situation where there's a health crisis. The entrepreneur, the owner uh, has some debilitating health issue and that certainly interrupts any plan you may have developed, right? Well, that's exactly right. That's a life. That's a life situation. That's why I go back to the whole situation. Is that you know, you need to be prepared and already have your portfolio in place. Already have your insurance. Don't don't bank on your business bailing you out because stuff happens. You know, having those contingency plans is just it's just a smart way of going. Leo McLeod, succession coach. Any questions for Leo for all you entrepreneurs out there who are thinking about a plan to create a legacy for you, for your family, have an income stream available for your family when you're out fishing or out playing golf. Give our offices a call. We'd be glad to put you in contact with Leo McLeod. Leo, thank you so much for your time. You've, You've brought a lot of insight into some of the mechanics and some of the cultural things that entrepreneurs have to face. So very much appreciate your time. Yes, thank you, Pat.
that. Please let me emphasize that tax and legal professionals are not a part of Vitucci and Associates staff, but we refer to professionals versed in those disciplines. Call us personally, 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or go to our website, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Fatucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.